0: The fruit of the Spirit is the fruit we want to see growing in our children's lives. But the Apostle Paul warns against some deadly poisonous fruit that he calls the works of the flesh. What are these destructive tendencies our children need to overcome? How can we help them live by the Holy Spirit's power? Listen as Dave Wurtzen, our Truth Encounter study leader, continues with Part 2 of... Grace is for kids. I've been down the last few days with uh, Dave Lowry and Bob Stanbury got to go with us. Uh, they have what they call the Evangelical Theological Society. It sounds intimidating, doesn't it? And what that means is they bring a, a bunch of the teachers from Moody Bible Institute and from Wheaton College and from Talbot Theological Seminary and everything else and they all gather together. This time it happened to be in San Antonio so it was a place that was close and you get to hear lectures, uh, all different subjects. It was a great time. I think I got there on Tuesday and probably about Wednesday evening I flipped on and they had Terrell Owens on there. You haven't heard by now our culture than another big controversy and uh, it was interesting. Terrell Owens, all of you of you are watching Monday Night Football innocently last Monday night you turn the TV and your little kids are watching and all of a sudden they have Terrell Owens this marvelous ball player for the, the these champion Philadelphia Eagles and he's there getting ready for the game and they have a beautiful blonde walk out dressed only in a towel and she seduces him and she eventually drops a tail. They don't, let you see, they don't let you see too much, and then she hugs them, and then it cuts to a desperate housewife's clips. And, and Daryl Owens is talking about that, and probably a whole bunch of you turned that off, and that's great, so your little kids didn't get exposed to that. But I want to talk to you about the conflict going on in our culture. What was fascinating to me is Daryl Owens is saying, you know, I, this was totally innocent. You know, I, I didn't see anything wrong with it, and, and I'm sorry now for the uproar that it's called. I want you to stop and think of you know, why does a a grown ball player feel that there's nothing wrong with this? And I want you to see the great conflict going on in our culture, because that's the flesh. And I want to talk to you today about the flesh and the spirit, because what you're dealing with with your kids, what's going on in their life from the time they're little bitty kids, and what's going on in your life this morning is what we call the flesh, and not this stuff, Not this skin, but what we call this passion to live just for the desires of my physical body. In total disobedience to God's plan for my body. And that's called the flesh. And we're all born with that, and it's it's residing in our life, and that's the flesh. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. And then we're going to talk about something the opposite of that. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about you in Christ, and what it means for you to become a Christ one, and for you to have this incredible gift, the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of your life. And this is the tension. What was going on in that, in that skit is this is the flesh. There's a part of me that is pulled into that. It's, it's like a magnet that pulls me in, and I'm, I'm grabbed a hold. I can become a slave to that. But in reality, I know that this is going to be a very unloving thing. As a pastor teacher, I know. Like you might say, oh, it's just innocent, and and Terrell says it's no big deal. But it is a big deal to me as a pastor, because if he's married, then I know as a pastor teacher that the wife that had her husband do that is totally destroyed. She has disappeared. Her personality has been totally attacked. She's going to be in a heap of tears. She's going to have tremendous feelings of distrust towards him. It's not a good deal. If he has little kids, it means that little boys have learned that anytime you have a beautiful blonde that takes off her clothes in front of you, she belongs to you. You can use her for whatever you want. And so I'm going to have a whole bunch of little boys that grow up to be lustful. And that's going to produce a whole bunch of broken homes and hurt things. I also know that if, if the woman is married, that her husband's been crushed. If she isn't married, she's also thrown away the idea of I can trust this person, I can depend upon him. The whole idea of covenant relationships and making promises and keeping them has been totally thrown away. So when Terrell says, I can't see what's wrong here, what I would say to the pastor teacher is, is it's what's wrong with death because it's really destroyed things. It's torn them up, and and there's blood all over the floor, and nobody realizes it. So then the issue comes, okay, I know that it's wrong, and to be honest with you, I think Terrell knows this is wrong. In fact, I think ABC knows it's wrong. I think everybody in the United States knows it's wrong. How about you? You know. In fact, I think the truth of the matter is our culture really knows that it's wrong. But the issue comes, okay, what do we do about it? So we have a big debate now. The FCC is going to fine ABC. They fined for CBS about $550,000 for the Janet Jackson thing. Now they're going to debate about that. That would be a good idea. That's one of the things that government needs to do. But I want to ask a deeper question. Is that really going to stop it? Is it going to stop what goes on in my own heart? Is it going to stop what goes on in your heart? And is it going to stop what could happen in my kids' lives? What I want to talk to you about today is graces for kids, and I want to talk to you about the heartbeat of where the Apostle Paul wants our kids to end up. And if you're a kid here, this is what the Lord wants to produce in your life. And by the way, if you're an adult here, this is what the Lord wants to produce in your life. How many of you as parents, let me just begin with you as parents, how many of you want to have a kid that when they get to be about 18, they go to parties and get totally drunk? And they end up, after drinking like fish and then passing out on the floor, they vomit all the next morning because they go to wild parties. You, how many of you want that? How many of you would like them to go to parties where they swap partners, where you just have a massive orgy and they just have sexual relationships with everybody in the room and while they're drunk, they don't even know. How many of parents want to raise kids like that? That's our goal. That's our objective. How many of you want to raise kids that really hate people I mean they just really have vehement hatred in their heart and people that oppose them they just haul off and hit them. They just really have horrible tempers that just explode and then they get together with other people that hate and they form parties where this party attacks this party and it's kind of like what's going on in Iraq right now with all these different factions that are, that are, that are attacking each other and maybe it's like your office you know where you have factions in your office and you hate each other and the anger boils. Maybe it's like your home. How do you want raise kids where a husband doesn't talk to his wife and the wife doesn't talk to her husband how many of you want to raise homes like that in your person relationships nobody gets along how many of you want to raise kids that are filled with jealousy like if their best friend makes the cheerleading squad and they don't make it that they just become filled with jealousy and they want to get the cheerleader that made the squad and they wanted they want to slander them and say evil things how many want to produce kids that are filled with jealousy how many want to produce kids that dabble in the occult they start out with little Ouija boards and as they proceed they end up looking at tarot cards and they end up going to palm readers and then they end up as going to seances with satan worshipers and that's what they worship they worship the occult how many want to raise kids like that how many want to raise kids that are filled like Terrell owens that just says there's no big deal immorality it's no big deal i just it's just like eating and they involve, they tell dirty jokes. You want to raise kids like they get, as they get older in the locker room. They're the ones that tell the dirty stories. They're the ones that tell the dirty jokes. How many want to raise kids like that? None of you want to raise kids like that. I don't think there's probably a person in America that really sets out, here's my outline, that's what I want to produce. But I want to share with you, that's what's in your kid's life. If you just leave them on their own and you just let them grow and develop like one group in our society is telling you, that's where they're going to end up because all of those things are lurking in Dave Wurtson's soul outside of Jesus, and they're lurking in your soul too. There's a part of you that loves everything I just said as much as you hate it. There's a part of you that thinks it would be really scintillating. There's a part of you that think it would be really exciting. There's a part of you that would just be, you just feel more alive than probably you've ever felt if you could mess around with some of those things. And you got to face how evil that part of you is. There's a part of you that can come to church here for a long time and then suddenly you can start fooling around and you start getting involved in all those kind of things that I started talking. To. Maybe not all of them, but you start to mess around with one after another and slowly you're swept away. That's true of every one of your life and it's true of your kid's life. Now, on the other hand, how many would like to raise a kid that they're self-controlled? In other words, they, when they get a homework assignment, they know they need to discipline themselves. They do it ahead of time. Can that, Can you imagine that? <laughs> they actually have self-control, so they know, no, Mom, you know, I, I can't, I can't have a, a, I can't have a big caramel, a whole bag of caramels right now, because that would give me a sugar high, and I really need to eat some really good lettuce and tomatoes and stuff like that. You know, how many of you want kids with self-control? How many of you want to have kids that are gentle? That they have gentleness in their life. You have a four-year-old, and when you bring the brand-new baby home, the four-year-old holds the, gentle baby, the baby and is gentle, holds the baby gently in their arms. Wouldn't it be unbelievable to have a four-year-old that's filled with gentleness? That's what we want to raise. As the kid, as they grow older, they become a gentle person. How many of you would want to have a child that's, that's peaceful? Like, they don't bust everybody they come in contact with. They're not filled with rage. They're not filled with anger. And in interpersonal relationships, they generate peace instead of conflict. How many of you want a kid that's filled with joy? Like, you know, as soon as they walk in the door, it's like sunshine just came in. They're filled with joy. They celebrate. They're skipping their step. Wouldn't it be marvelous to have a child like that? Most of all, wouldn't it be great to have a child that, that is filled with self-sacrifice for others? Like if just just normally in their life, like they're going into the mall over at the parks and they see a lady getting out and she needs a walker and your child just automatically goes and helps them get the walker out of the trunk and then helps them put it down and then opens the door for them going to the parks. They just totally forget about their friends that ran ahead, but they give themselves. How many would like to raise a child like that? Come on. You see, you know in your heart what you really want to do and I think almost everybody in the United States and literally in the world deep in their souls I think we really know this is a good kid this is a good person and this is really bad news but the issue comes how do we act good how do we not act in these tremendously powerful destructive ways and that's what I want you to get really excited about. If you turn to Galatians chapter 5, and I just outline kind of the, this passage for you. as we talk about helping our kids to live in the Spirit, we can talk about how helping our kids to live in the Spirit. The Apostle Paul said in the verse 13, it says, You, my brothers, and I includes you sisters as well, you were called to be free. Remember I talked to you last week about when we mentioned Jesus, we want to talk about freedom. It's the freedom not to be destroyed by the flesh in this context not be destroyed by this sinful world that's a satanic kingdom that is the, that controls the atmosphere that surrounds the world atmosphere you were called to be free you're set free from that so therefore don't use your freedom and this would be the freedom the forgiveness the relationship you have with Jesus to indulge your sinful nature the idea here the apostle Paul is presenting is don't let don't let the sinful way of life that used to dominate be, dominates before we came to know Jesus, that will dominate us outside of Christ, don't let that sinful life, don't let that get a stronghold in your life. Don't let the evil one attack your life and, and, and develop a base of operations is the idea. Don't let him get a place where he can grab a hold. So our freedom in Christ is not a freedom to enter back into the slavery of sinfulness. It's the freedom to walk into the newness of holiness. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. So don't use your freedom in Christ to indulge in sinful nature. So then, how do we conquer that? He says, this is the conquering of it. Instead, serve one another. Serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in one single command. It's found in Leviticus 19, verse 18. When Jesus Christ comes into your life, he causes you to become a person, a new person that loves your neighbor as yourself. When you receive Jesus as your Savior, the first commandment, which is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, becomes a reality. It becomes part of your new person. In fact, this is the true you. This old fleshly side is no longer the eternal you. It's no longer the person that you really are. It's not who you're going to be eternally. And the Apostle Paul wants to understand that you are now, when you receive Jesus in your life, when your little bitty ones, if they invite Jesus to come to live in their life, Jesus comes into their life. In fact, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who's united with Jesus, who is one with him, He comes to live in their life, and the essential, fundamental character of this new spirit is he loves. He loves. He gives of himself for others. Going back to Galatians chapter 2, I am crucified with Christ. What does that mean? It means that when you receive Jesus as your Savior, the love that caused Jesus to die on the cross of Calvary for his enemies which is the greatest expression of love that's ever happened on the earth, do you realize that that love came to live inside of you? That as you go through your life, that you have the spirit, that same spirit, that instead of busting your enemies, instead of trying to exterminate your enemies, instead you can be willing to give your life for them. If you're thrown into a situation like Todd Boehmer was on that plane when the terrorists are attacking and you know they're going to blow up another building in Washington and innocent people are going to hurt, you'll sacrifice your life for the good of others. Where did Todd get that kind of new life from? He's from Jesus. He knew Jesus from the time he was a young boy. And Jesus had made him brand new. So when he was put into the crunch, he acts in Calvary love. He protects those who are innocent. And he uses his strength to defend them. He does all of those things. That's what Paul is saying. If you were the people in some of those buildings in Washington, what would you want Todd to do for you? You would want him to give his life so that that hundreds of other people could be protected. But this happens in our everyday life. What's wrong with that skit is if Terrell would think, if I were that woman's husband, what would I want me to do? What would love do? If that woman has daughters, what would their daughters, what would I want to do to be an example to the daughters? If I'm not married and I have boys in the future, what kind of an example would I want to be to my boys? To all the people in the United States that are watching me that look up to me as a great Philadelphia Eagle star, little tiny African-American kids, that one of the things, now listen to me, this is one of the things that's destroying African-American families because a ton of African-American men think that that's the way you live. And a lot of white guys think the same thing. What did that do to a ton of little African-American boys? Did it tell them about covenant husband love? Did it tell them about resisting destructive passion sexually? No, it told them just the opposite. And so hundreds of families won't have faithful dads, won't have daddies that will take care of them, won't have the commitment. You see, he wasn't thinking of his neighbor. It wasn't innocent. It's deadly. And Jesus sets us free to think of our neighbor I don't just think of what Dave Wertzen needs right now in the present. I start to think about what you need. I start to think of what would happen to you. And so when I'm thrown in those situations, the Holy Spirit changes my internal spirit and I'm able to respond in a totally different way. I'm able to love my neighbor as myself. I'm able to think about the needs of someone else that I'm fulfilling, not because there's an external chiseled code that says, "Love your neighbor, do you love yourself," but it's inside of me. The Holy Spirit within me causes me to realize i got to think of others. I don't just think of my own personal gratification. And every one of you this morning that's in trouble with the flesh, you're thinking about yourself. You're thinking about your gratification. You're thinking about your pleasures of your body and you're thinking about what you're going to get out of life and you're thinking that this life is all that you've got and those are all lies because you're going to find meaning. You're going to find life when you're thinking about others. And when you pour out your life for others and you stop thinking so much about yourself and you get lost in using this incredible gift card's life for other people, and I'm not lying to you, you're going to wake up as you're serving Christ and serving others and you're going to find out that you're filled with all that you're looking for. You're going to find out that you're filled with joy and you're filled with celebration and filled with peace. You follow Satan's way, you follow the fleshly way. If you live according to what all those talk shows are telling you, that you need to love yourself. You need to meet the needs of yourself. And that's the greatest way for you to love others. That's the biggest bunch of baloney I've ever heard. If Dave Wurtzen does what his self needs, I end up killing everybody. And so do you. Instead, Jesus produces a totally new being inside of us called the new person. The Christ-like self that's created inside of us that's going to be eternally his. And instead of lusting after one another, we love each other, and we become safe together. Now, when I share with you, this is a very real conflict. You say, well, Dave, I'm this new person in Christ. That's true. And that's the eternal you if you've received Christ in your heart. But I want you to know this struggle with that old way of life is very real. And I want you to understand, I want to make it really clear, the real you is not that old person anymore, but Paul in his theology talks about it's living in the in-between. Let me illustrate it this way. Sherry, absolutely, one day is going to have a brain that will never be attacked with malignancy forever, ever again. It'll never happen. And I'm praying with all my heart that we'll have an eruption of the kingdom of God and a manifestation of his kingdom like we've had over the last four years that she'll be healed. And that's what I covet and I long for. But even if that happens and we live long enough, Sherry doesn't look exactly like I saw her in First Baptist Church of Waxahachie. I'm sorry, Sherry. But she doesn't look exactly the same as she did those many years ago when I saw her as a beautiful bride making those covenant vows whether she's free of malignancy or not if Sherry and I live long enough together in this life the, the, the deadliness and the destructiveness and the deterioration of the flesh her physical body is going to bring death unless the Lord Jesus comes back and I'm picking on Sherry because you're all thinking about that but that's true of every one of you but you're in the not yet is that going to be the end of Sherry no is that going to be her final destiny no because of Jesus. Jesus has already done this on planet Earth. He rose again from the dead. So one day, afterly for sure, Sherry's going to be greater than the angels because of Jesus. And that's what our faith is about. I want you to believe that with all your heart. But right now, she's living in the not yet. Her body the temple of the Holy Spirit. But the weakness and the deterioration of the flesh is a very real part of her life and my life. The same thing's true in your life Morally. In Christ, you're a brand new person. In Christ, one day, you're going to be just like Christ. But you are in the not yet. You're in the in-between. The kingdom of God has erupted into your life. But I want you to know, if you're honest, every one of you, it is a very real struggle. When I see that skit, there's a part of me that is attracted to that. It's a wrestling match in my soul. Some of you guys might have reached the point where You know, you just flip it off. It's no big deal. And I praise the Lord and you can pray for me. And I'm glad that you've reached a level of maturity. But I'm going to be honest with you, that's not exactly where I am. There's a magnetic pull in my life. And there's a very real wrestling match that takes place in my life over an issue like that. And that's why the Apostle Paul says in this next verse, he says, there's a real wrestling match. And it relates to your inner inner-person relationship as the church family. It relates to your individual wrestling with the power of sin that you're exposed to in the atmosphere. Paul says this, Galatians, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. What the Apostle Paul is saying to the Galatians is you have come to know Christ and you have his spirit in your life and you need to fulfill loving your neighbor to love yourself. But if you don't listen to what I'm going to teach you, and you don't submit to the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You know what you will do? You will end up acting like animals. You will end up like dogs that get in a fight. If you've ever watched dogs that lose it and just attack each other, you have never, don't, don't jump in on there because you will have stitches all over your arms. They will literally kill each other. And that's what he's saying. And that can happen in this group right here. Like right now, we're united. And I just am thrilled with the love that he's producing and the joy he's producing. But I want you to realize that it's a very real struggle because there could be times we could have future days in our church family where we start biting and devouring each other. Because instead of submitting to the Holy Spirit, we start submitting to our own spirits outside of Christ, not the new spirit that we received in Christ, but that old corpse-like deadly structure that's trying to pull us down that's what the apostle paul is talking about and he goes on and develops that in the next verse look what he says so i say you need to go to a church family that has lots of rules and regulations that will be put you in a strong behavior pattern that will tell you exactly how to live and that will control all these passions within no what you really needed so i say then don't worry about this conflict it's really not a real conflict at all because you can live any way you want to and you'll be self-fulfilled That's what your culture says. Look what Paul says. Paul says, so I say, live by the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, the third person of the Trinity has arrived in your life. He's taken up residence in your life if you've been born again. The moment you received Jesus, you received the most incredible gift. God came to live inside of you. And he made you a brand new person totally as a gift you were born again because you received that holy spirit now the apostle paul is telling you every single day of your life you live in the power of that same holy spirit live by the spirit live by the holy spirit and you will not gratify you won't give in you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh You won't give in to this alien force. You won't give in to this spirit of the age. You won't give in to this influence that's controlled by the power of the evil one. You're not going to give in to that. You're not going to give in to all those works of the flesh that I talked about earlier. He He said, you'll be able to do this if you walk by the spirit's power. And then he talked about a wrestling match. The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You don't need to go back under the law in order to conquer this. And I want to share this. Paul's speaking about us as a believers. A lot of times this passage is just dealt with individually. That's one way to look upon it. And I, it's a picture. There's a lot of debate in Christendom about what's going on here. And is this the state of the believer? I want to share with you. Almost all believers understand that we do still have temptation. We still have a battle that goes on with the evil one. So I want to be really careful. Some of you can get in semantic arguments. I want you to think about the reality of what you're experiencing in your day-by-day life. Now, Paul, is crystal clear that you are in Christ. Your true identity is what Jesus has given you as a gift. That's the eternal you. That's the one that's going to finally be expressed. But the Apostle Paul is also crystal clear that in this present time, the flesh has not been totally eliminated from having any influence on our life. And you can call it whatever you want to. Some people call it the old nature. Some people call it the old Adamic self. You can go on and on. But as a pastor-teacher, when I'm working with real, honest-to-Godness people, what I'm thinking about concretely is there's a part of Dave Wirtzen that looks at a, at a beautiful blonde taken off her towel, and there's a pull. There's a temptation. There's a lust, and it's crazy. It's destructive. It's deadly. It just yanks you right in and my head and everything I know gets totally eliminated. That's wrong. And I want you to know that it's real. The same thing's true when I'm driving in the car and Mary's helping me to drive and I say, I'm not going to get angry. I'm going to be really peaceful and I'm going to really appreciate her administrative gifts and I'm not going to say anything bad. And I say, honey, would you leave me alone? Can't you let me drive? That's a real struggle. Now, if you're over that struggle, praise God. (laughs) But I'm not. And I don't think any of you are either, because I've been your pastor too long. This is a real struggle. So let's not argue about the words. Let's talk about the reality of what's going on within. The Apostle Paul says that the flesh, this old Adamic nature we were born with, that is an atmosphere of evils controlled by the evil one, expresses itself in the works of the flesh. Now, what are they? Your desires of the flesh, what goes on in my head, produces the works of the flesh. And that's why what we think in our head is really important. We have desires in our head and that produces actions in our hands and our feet. The Apostle Paul, when he outlines to you the works of the flesh, he talks first of all about the sexual area. He says there are three things. Immorality, it's the most general word. If you look at verse 19, the act of the sinful nature, obvious. That's why it started out with this. You all know this is bad stuff. Sexual immorality, it's the most general word that you can use for all kinds of sexual sin. Just any sexual sin you can think of, that's this word. Sexual sin, and one of the ways for you to know that it's sexual sin is it's dirty. So from the time you're a little bitty kid, as I raised our kids with Mary... As they're learning about sexuality, one side of that is dirty. Josh is drawing pictures that he shouldn't draw. He's a skillful artist. And it's dirty. And even when he was a little tiny kid, he didn't want Mary to see those pictures. And some of you have been there and done that. Jay Leno doesn't tell clean jokes about sex, he tells dirty jokes. And we call them that. That's what it's talking about. Sexual sin is dirty. And it makes you feel unclean. So if you get involved in it, you're going to want to take a shower from now until eternity to try to get rid of the dirt. Married love is not like that at all. You don't feel dirty. And it's a precious covenant relationship. And you all know the difference. So as you go out into this week, you're going to see sexual immorality and you're going to hear a a fleshly world scene that treats sexuality as being dirty and unclean with all the ramifications of that from graffiti written on bathroom walls to dirty jokes and on and on it goes. The final word nails what's going on. In sexual immorality, our God is our sensual thrill. The passion and the thrill of what our body experiences. That's all that counts. You're just a desiring machine and let the machine express its passions. Jesus wants to deliver you from that because you're far more than that. There's going to come a day when you might get sick and you grow old that you won't have any more sexual passion. That's the truth. Your body will wear out. You can take Viagra till you're blue in the face and nothing will happen. And it's going to make a really lousy God, guys, Because one day, you're going to need a lot more than the thrill of your sexual experience. You're going to need eternity. You're going to need Jesus. So don't make that beautiful blonde taken off a towel your God. She's a lousy God. And I'm just telling you the honest to goodness truth, because I've been in intensive care wards where guys are getting ready to go on into eternity, and I got news for you. It's not the beautiful blondes they went to bed with it's Jesus and it's his purity and it's his power and it's the love and I and I was with Eulon Graves last night and he'd been in intensive care for almost three weeks and you know what he was doing in intensive care he's saying I, I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to develop a visiting ministry in the hospital because I'm a professional at this now I can really do this that's power guys that's love that's Jesus Because even when you're sick, the Holy Spirit can be working in you to produce life and a desire to live. And that's what I covet for you. So don't believe the lie. The second thing that enters into is, is false worship, idolatry. And the word for witchcraft is drugged. It's the word pharmakeia. And the word pharmakeia is like the pharmacy. And so, from the beginning of time, with false worship, they've always mixed in a little bit of the occult, a little bit of drugs. So, if you start drinking too much, if you start taking drugs, you start messing around with the world of false gods, and it will control your life. And Jesus wants to protect you from that. Then he gets into really meddling. He talks about all the interpersonal things that we do in interpersonal relationships: when in our marriages there's hatred, when there's discord. In our friendships, if jealousy begins to prevail, if there's fits of rage, if we're living just for our own selfish ambitions and getting ahead and dissensions and factions, he's saying that that's not what's going to inherit the kingdom of God. And then he closes by talking about our social relationship. He goes from our sexual relationships to our spiritual relationships, to our interpersonal relationships, then to our social relationships, like partying. And he says, if you go to drunken parties... It's going to destroy you You're not going to inherit God's kingdom It's not the expression of God's kingdom And what he's saying this is people That that this is their life If this is their true existence Then they never really met Jesus Because when Jesus comes into your life That's what he sets us free from That's what he died on the cross to deliver us from Now the opposite of that Is the fruit of the spirit Notice he doesn't say the fruits of the spirit But he talks about The fruit of the spirit The Holy Spirit invades my life and he begins to work on Dave Wurzon. He begins to work on you. He begins to work on us in our relationships together. And instead of me being a lustful Dave Wurtson, he makes me first fruit, a loving Dave Wurtson. And he causes me in my new nature to realize true love is in my marriage. It's keeping a promise. It's being focused and becoming a one woman man. And all the joys that come from that and generating kids and having a family that's safe and secure and having freedom from disease and sexual relationships because you've only had the relationship that God wanted for you. All that is freedom. It's the ability to love. Instead of being immoral and living for lust, the Holy Spirit causes you to love. And that's just in the sexual area. I love you guys. I don't just say that emotionally. I love you guys. I've given my life for you guys because I want to. I love meeting you for breakfast. I love teaching you this morning. Why is that so? Because the Holy Spirit came to live in my life. And you believe in Jesus, a whole bunch of you. And so you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, and you believe Jesus Christ rose again. And, and a lot of you that I've been able to tell you about that when you were little kids and see you come to know Jesus as your Savior and to be able to watch you grow. And man, I want you to know that that's the meaning of my life to be able to give myself to help you is the greatest meaning of my life. Like if I die right now, it's fine. Life was really full. It was rich. It was meaningful because I've seen the love of Jesus at work in your life and mine. And as I go out, when I, I love Midlothian. I don't want to get away from Midlothian like some of the teenagers. I just want to get out of here. Well, It's probably good for you to get away a little bit. But I love Midlothian. I love being able to go into a cafe and talk to people And those that don't know Jesus, to try to reach them for Jesus and to give my life, try to connect with them. And I love all of you guys and ladies, the way you're you're catching hold of this idea that we we all do this together and we can explode out of here and share Christ. The Holy Spirit does do something. There is love here this morning. Don't miss it. Don't run away from it. It's not perfect. We can bite and devour each other. But don't miss that there's signs, there's eruptions of the Holy Spirit, and they can be all around you. Don't miss it. Peace. The Holy Spirit produces peace. We're not in conflict with God anymore. We don't have to be in conflict with each other. And the Holy Spirit can do that. If your marriage is filled with fighting, I got good news for you. You can win. The Holy Spirit in your life, you might have the worst Irish temper or the worst Scottish temper or the worst American temper, the Holy Spirit can help you to become a man and woman of peace. Because if you walk by his Spirit's power, he's going to change you. Joy. The Holy Spirit can give you joy. I want to ask you, has it been a long time since you just experienced joy? That you woke up and realize, I'm, I'm full of joy. And, and, and there's going to be times of great sorrow. But the Holy Spirit is a spirit of Joy that he moves us from times of sorrow, but he also gives us times where we catch glimpses of the heavenly, eternal joy. And one day, because Jesus has risen again from the dead and he's ascended to heaven, we can know absolutely for sure that we're gonna enter a kingdom that's not filled with tears and not filled with crying, but it's gonna be a kingdom that is filled with joy because that's the essential nature of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. And as I begin to respond to him, he does produce joy, peace. Love, joy, and peace. He goes on and talks about um, being kind to each other and patient with each other and loving goodness, being faithful to one another, gentleness and self-control. You know what? You don't need any law for people that live like that. Those who belong to the Messiah Jesus have crucified that old fleshly nature with its passions and desires. That's what we talked about. You always go back to the cross in your Christian life. Always go back to what happened at the cross. Go back to how from God's perspective he crucified that old nature and live in the light of that faith that now you're free to live in Christ. Since we live by the Holy Spirit, we were born again. Paraphrasing this verse it would mean since we were born again, by trusting in the Holy Spirit and believing in Calvary and believing in the resurrected Christ. That's Paul's thinking. Now in your everyday life, stay in step with the Spirit. Don't, don't be conceited. Don't live for pride. Therefore, beginning to provoke and envy each other. This is what he's saying. When you go and watch the A&M Corps get ready for a football game, one of the most powerful things, when you watch the Corps, you know, da 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 But what's really cool when you watch at the core is that you don't have one guy left, right. He's going right, left. He's totally out of sync. When Kent Carol's son, used to play the big tuba thing and they'd swirl those things around, they couldn't be out of step. They had to be in sync. And this is what the the prophet is challenging you, that you were born again by the Spirit now in your everyday life. Don't get out of step. Don't get out of sync with him. And, and I, I brought in the A&M because I want you to realize that Paul is not just thinking of this as an individual struggle, but we're all in this together and the fruit of the Spirit are need to be produced in our individual life. But as Americans, we automatically just jump to our own internal struggle when the Apostle Paul also thinks about you being in the body of Christ today. And so he thinks of the Holy Spirit working in this church family and we're helping each other to stay in step. We're helping each other to get in sync. We're helping each other. So the issue that you need to ask yourself as you think about the core of your existing, who are you choosing to keep in step with? Who are you walking with today? Who are you listening to today? Who are you letting control your life today? And the Apostle Paul comes to us as we close and says, live by the Holy Spirit's power. You were born again by the Spirit. Now decide today you will keep in step with him. Maybe you've been out of step with him. Today he says, come back to me. Admit your sin. Confess it. And then begin to walk with me again. Let's pray. As we close, last night I was able to speak to a a precious group of people and a dear guy came up to me at the end and said, Dave, will you pray for me? My problem is self-control and what a great thrill it was to be able to pray together. Maybe one of the things that you'll want to do is to maybe someone share, Lord, I'm really wrestling with that self-control fruit. And this dear fellow said, when I sit down at a meal, man, I just want to eat everything on the table and then everything that I, that, that in the kitchen all at once. And what a precious thing it was to ask the Holy Spirit, not his own self-discipline, not his own strength, but just to ask the Holy Spirit to produce self-control in his life. Maybe some of you have been wrestling with purity and you've been living in the atmosphere of immorality. And the Lord Jesus this morning says he wants you to get back in step with him. And we can pray for each other. That's why we're here together. Maybe you've become angry. Maybe it's beginning to cause you to feel estrangement. And the Holy Spirit wants to come to you today and and he wants to give you peace. He wants you to stay focused on what he's doing. And being able to see that we're in perfect That we're not totally in the kingdom of Jesus as far as heavenly eternity is concerned. And so there's going to be friction. There's going to be hurt feelings. But these don't have to blow us apart. We can have peace. And so I ask you, my dear brothers and sisters, in your marriages, will you let love, will you believe that Jesus can produce love in your life? You don't have to have any love yourself. You don't have to conjure it up. You can just say, Lord, I'm out of it. But I want us to be a church family that believes if we come to Jesus and we get in step with his spirit, there's a gift of grace that slowly but surely, sometimes instantaneously, but often, over the course of a lifetime, Jesus begins to slowly produce love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. For more information on materials available through Truth Encounter, please write to us at Truth Encounter, Box 580, Midlothian, Texas, 76065, or you can contact us on the web at www.truthencounter.com. Our telephone number is 1-888-668-7884.